Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hey, welcome everybody. This episode, we have a recording from the monthly meetup that I hold, Buying Without Banks. And so uh, this meeting, I talk about all the numbers we need to know as real estate investors. And they're important for comparing deals and really knowing the profitability of a deal. They're also important to be aware of and to be able to know so that when you present to a potential lender, you can share that information. So I hope this helps. Um, definitely, if you have questions after this episode, reach out to me, Chad at TrueWealthInvestors.com. And still to this day, we're, we're just shy of 70 units and still haven't used a bank loan for a purchase. So wherever you are, I know a lot of you uh, said, you know, you were trying to get started and had goals for real estate and weren't sure exactly how to get there, but you knew that you wanted to get into real estate. And I want to encourage you, don't ever let the financing seem like an obstacle or a hindrance um, that if if you understand real estate and how to put a deal together, the financing will come together. So, uh, you know, I know that from personal experience. So, <clears throat> um, and then additionally, I get to do this with GD Rea and I run a mastermind and I do different things to satisfy that teacher aspect in me. So that's really what I like to do is teach and encourage and help people. So tonight when I'm going through slides, don't hesitate to um, ask a question, jump in. Really, I, you know, I want to help as much as possible. I want to make the best use of the time uh, that we have here tonight. All right. So, you know, it, it should be open-ended and discussion-oriented. Just, just jump in when you have a question. All right. If you're looking for information on GDRE and how to join, you can. Uh, get all that information from gdrea.com, its website. All right, let's look at uh, these slides here. Okay, just to jump in real quick, you did a great job. And I'd like to drive home what you and Sham said is that being part of a real estate association is paramount to build your networking and get your goals satisfied. It's really a, a conduit. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Yeah, it, it is. It, I, I think it's overlooked, but it is. Being a real estate investor is such an, you know, you're on your own and you're trying to figure everything out and you have to wear so many hats. Having that network and that association of, of other investors is a huge key to that success. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks for jumping in. All right. <clears throat> Um, so with these formulas tonight, I tried to, uh, can everybody see my screen? Well, give me a good thumbs up if you can see it. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Brenda. Um, <clears throat> I tried to simplify it as much, you know, try to make, put it in the simplest terms as possible. So, and uh, like I said, jump in if you have any questions. So what I did was I took one example um, I took one example property put it into a spreadsheet 
which can generate all these um, numbers. And we're just gonna go through kind of with that spreadsheet, how you get each number and really what the formula is good for. <laughs> so we really need to learn two things, right? We need to know, learn one, what the formula is, how to figure it, and then two, why we need to figure it or what the importance is. Um, because the, the formulas do have different, different reasons that we use them. So um, I'd like to point out too that I have a podcast with a whole bunch of information. So if you get to the end of today and you're like, that was really good, I want more information or now I need to figure this out. The podcast has a lot of information and it has a lot of in interviews, um, GD RIA members, as well as people from around the country who share their story. So, and that's just a free resource you can always use. All right, so these are the ones we're gonna cover today. These are the common formulas. If, if for some reason you have one um, that, that you don't quite understand that's not on this list, then at the end, I mean, it's an open book. You ask whatever you wanna ask, all right? And uh, glad to help in any way. All right, so <clears throat> so the first formula here is a gross operating income. And sometimes you hear that as gross scheduled income, but essentially gross operating income is all of the scheduled income minus your vacancy and loss. So if we're buying a single family home and it's gonna rent for, let's say for round numbers, a thousand a month, well, we still know that just because of life and that it's a people business, every year we won't get $12,000 in that year, right? There will be some vacancy and loss occasionally. So, <clears throat> We're looking at all the scheduled income minus, so this is a screenshot of that spreadsheet. So uh, for this example, I'm looking at a 3-2 in Inglewood and the rent on that three bedroom is 1250. And so annually that should be $15,000. Since Englewood's a you know good rental area and it rents quickly and usually people take care of the house, then I have I'm using a fairly low vacancy rate or vacancy and loss rate. So we're going to take five percent out of that, and so our gross operating income is going to be fourteen thousand two fifty. So that means that we should be able to expect fourteen thousand two fifty in income each year. All right. <clears throat> Does that make sense to everybody? You holler if you have a question, because I can't see see everybody. Um, but if you raise your hand on, on there, um, it'll come to the top. Or if you want to just ask a question, jump in. Okay, so that's our first formula, gross income. The next one, which you hear more often is net operating income or NOI. And NOI is a really important one. It's used in a lot of uh, other formulas. And essentially your NOI is 
your gross operating income, the, the number we just used, minus all of the expenses that come from that property, except your financing costs. So it doesn't consider financing. So if we're talking about the NOI of a property, then <clears throat> whether we're going to buy it all cash or buy it with a 30-year mortgage or buy it with an interest-only loan on a retirement account, none of those really affect the profitability of the property, right? NOI is good at comparing the profitability of that property. So, so in this example, if you can see my cursor, um, we're going to start entering the expenses and I've got them on an annual uh, annual figure. It's good to keep NOI on annual. So taxes, uh, we had at $1,422 a year. Insurance, I had a ballpark number of $600 a year. And then management, I self-manage my properties, but I still like to put 10% in there. Um, you know, in case something happens and I need to hire management or if something happens to me and my wife needs to hire a manager, I want to know that that property is still profitable, right? So we're going to put 10% in there, 10% in there for maintenance. And so our total expenses here are 4,872. And so our NOI or net operating income is going to be the 14,250 minus 4872 and we come up with uh, $9,378 a year. So that's not considering financing. Most of us aren't going to buy an Englewood, a 3-2 in Englewood for all cash. But for NOI, we're looking at it as if it's purchased all cash. All right. Okay, so the next step is taking is figuring our cash flow. So once we include the financing costs, um, then we will know how much actual cash we will be putting in our pocket, essentially, right now, you know, now it's usually digits on a bank statement, but how much cash will be in our account or in our pocket at the end of each month. So for to figure cash flow, we're going to have our NOI minus our financing costs. And our financing costs will be different for each person, right? We all have, and different for each deal. Um, some deals only qualify for commercial loans. Um, it really varies. So for this example, um, I took the NOI to a monthly figure. So monthly, the NOI is 782. And this property for the example was $115,000. And I figured 20% down uh, the remainder of that, I believe is around 92,000, 90 some thousand. And <clears throat> with a 30 year mortgage at 5%, just as an example, then our payment is going to be 493. And that payment is just principal and interest. So it's not the full PITI, just principal and interest because our taxes and insurance were up here on our, were listed on our expenses. 
So with 493 as our mortgage payment, then our cash flow each month, the cash that will be going into our account or our pocket is 289. All right. Any questions so far? We good so far? Okay. All right, so uh, the next one we're gonna look at is a figure of cash on cash return. So, and we have cap rate coming up. They're, they're slightly different, but cash on cash return is if you're using financing, this is a, a very common one for investors who are trying to figure out with their amount of money that they're going to invest, what kind of return they'll be able to get. So, with the amount of cash you currently have, what kind of return will you get on that cash? And so to figure a cash on cash return, we use our annual cash flow. And we're going to divide that by our out-of-pocket expenses, the amount of money we actually invested outside of financing. So in this example, um, well, I was putting 20% down and I didn't include any rehab costs. If, but you know, that changes with every deal, right? Some deals you don't need to put any money down for seller financing, but you'll invest some money on the rehab. It's the total cash out of your pocket. <clears throat> oh, okay, so let's see. So for this example, I took the cash flow and made it an annual number. So our 289 per month cash flow, that means that in one year we would earn cash flow wise 3,462. Um. <clears throat> so let's see. Our 115 times 0.2 is 23,000. So we're gonna need to divide our cash flow per year, 34.62 by 23,000, which was the 20% we put down on the deal. And so our cash on cash return would be 15%. So we're getting 15% of our money back that first year, which is a pretty good return uh, on cash. All right. <clears throat> I think we missed one here. Cap rate, okay, next one's cap rate. Cap rate you see on a lot of listings uh, for multifamily and it's an abbreviation of capitalization rate. And to figure the cap rate, we need to have the net operating income, which is the return um, that you're getting from that property and divide it by the total investment amount. So that's gonna be your purchase price and any rehab that you're putting into it. And you, if you've uh, heard other speakers in this group, I'm thinking especially of Cassidy Hellrigal um, in the multifamily space, then this is, a, this is a key figure because it determine, essentially determines the value of the property. 
when you're going to sell or if you're going to refi with multifamily, the cap rate, <clears throat> if you can um, manipulate this net operating income, then that affects the value of the property due to cap rate. Okay, so for this example, which normally, this is a single family home. Normally you wouldn't really um, be looking at cap rate with a single family home, but it's um, the same figure as cash on cash return, except we're not including any financing. It's the total asset. So <clears throat> we're going to do NOI, 9,378, divided by the total investment, which would be 115,000, and the cap rate would be 8.2%. And uh, yeah. $289 times 12 is $3,468. I just want to double check my number. Um, and then also I have a question on why you would not figure a cap rate as an important number on single family rentals or our own properties. Well, usually on a, so a cap rate, I usually don't consider with a single family home because I can't, um, the value isn't dictated by the net operating income. The value okay. is dictated by comps. And I'm always using financing. Even if I'm not using financing on the purchase, I know that I'm going to burr that property and refinance it out um, as okay. part of the growth. And so I'm more concerned with the return that I'm going to get in comparison to the, the money that I put into the deal or the equity that I leave into the deal. And you lean more because you're a buy and hold guy. You're looking for the, the revenue stream. Yeah. I haven't seen um, cap rates on single families before. I normally you know, don't so see with that. the listing. It's it's not included with a single family. It would just right. be multifamily. Right. Yeah. But it's still a good it's still a good number to know. Yes. So, so you know what we're uh, the last slide here is that really cap rate. The benefit of cap rate is to compare deals. And so even though a single family home's value is not determined by the cap rate, like multifamily, if we have two deals and one the cap rate's eight and the other the cap rate's, let's say, 12, well, that's important to know, right? That's important to recognize that one deal is giving a greater return for the value. And you would weigh in a lot more than just the cap rate, Chad. You would probably take in uh, the classification of the neighborhood it is, how accurate the comps are, and your end result. If you're an equity buyer versus a, a, a buy and hold revenue stream, that would play a role because the eight could may look for your future better than the 12. In my world, we look strictly on asset collateralized properties. And so we look at the cap rates based on you know, a dollar, I want a dollar 12 back. So uh, a little different for us. Right. Yeah. And, it, you know, <clears throat> like uh, Wendy was talking about, if she's talking to her clients, each client's going to be different. And there's not one, all these figures are good to know and good to use, but there's not one magic formula that tells you whether you should buy this property or not. Right. That's right. And so for one investor, with our examples there, an 8% cap rate, 
cap rate in a better neighborhood is going to be more appealing and a better deal for them than a 12% cap rate in a worse or in a, a rougher neighborhood. For another investor, it might be completely reversed. For a third investor, both of those deals might not be good enough. It really depends on the investor and, and knowing what their right. target is. And so, you know, especially specific to Wendy, what you were talking about, a key when you're knowing these um, formulas and ways to present a potential investment to a client is you're really going to want to know from them what their uh, comfort with risk is, what their goals are, what their targets are, and and know which which formulas will serve them best. Would you agree, Stephen? Is that yes? And I think you hit the nail on the head too, Chad, on the cap rate. I can manipulate the selling price or the asking price, if you will, by changing the cap rate. So if I say, gosh, I want a 12% cap rate, uh, then I just change the value of the home. And then I can determine, am I still looking at my property in the right light? If I lower the cap rate, I may make the, I can make the deal more attractive or less attractive by using this number. Uh, and so you have to be careful. Uh, like you said, the cap rate is a manipulative number. And so, from a real property perspective, the buyer, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't offer it if they were going to buy and hold, because I agree with you, it's it's not that uh, circumstantial. But on the other hand, uh, it's another way to manipulate the sale to see if it's good for your fit. Yeah, good. And it, you know, especially if uh, I was just thinking, if, if somebody's comparing a single family to a five unit then they probably would want to know the cap rate on that single family because they're going to know the cap rate on the five unit. So, and you, your 1% rule down there is right on Chad. Uh, you know, I have a four family that is generating about 39, five gross and netting 22. So if you take the 1% on 39, five, I got a $390,500 piece of property, but you really have to look at that cap rate and marry those two to see, it does it the best buy for you or not? Yeah, sure. Okay, and yeah, Stephen was mentioning the one percent rule, which is a that's a common one thrown around a lot. Um, and I know on podcast interviews, I've had people throw around one percent, two percent, three percent rule. Um, it goes all over the place. So we've got it here as one percent rule or the two percent or three percent rule. Um, <laughs> And it uh, depends who you talk to, what the target is. But usually you hear 1% on a national level, a national yeah. discussion. So it is essentially the monthly rent divided by the total investment. And if that number comes out to greater than 1%, then that's a deal to consider. If that number is less than 1%, then by this rule, it is... Uh, not a deal to consider, not a very good deal. So on our example here, our rent is 1,250. And if we divide that by the total investment here of 115,000, we get uh, 0.0108, which is 1.1% if we round up to that tenth of a percent. And um, so 
according to the 1% rule, it would be a good deal to consider. And then that's just a simple bar, ballpark figure. But 1% rule um, is a good one as like an initial quick look at a, at a deal to see if it's worth diving into any further. All right, and then 2% rule or 3% rule um, would be that you have rents that are much higher in comparison to the purchase price. So for an, an example, a three unit that I bought, the total rents are $18.50 a month. And the total, so that's $18.50 for the combined rents of the three units. We're gonna divide that by the purchase plus the rehab, um, which was 80,000. And so that is 2.3%, okay? So the rents are much higher in comparison to the total investment. Now that means the return will be higher. It usually also means the headaches will be higher, which is definitely true for that three unit. Um, but <clears throat> you gotta know that going in. Okay. So um, that's, those are you know, the general formulas um, that we talk about in real estate. And it's good to, to know with these formulas, um, the first four that we talked about, gross, in, gross operating income, net operating income, cash flow, cash on cash return, um, those are essentially the profitability of the deal. So what kind of return you're gonna get from the, that property and really whether it's a good deal or not. Down here on the cap rate and the 1% rule, I think those are much better for comparing deals, especially if we're not in multifamily, if we're looking at single family. Uh, these are better for just a comparison of deals. So we can look at 10 deals and kind of categorize which ones we're more interested in. And if you're looking at a three unit on a busy road versus a single family in a suburban uh, subdivision, those are going to look much different uh, when you're looking at those figures. All right. So what questions would you guys, what questions does anybody have um, related to the to those formulas or the discussion tonight, um, feel free to throw it out there and then we'll open it up to any questions uh, from anyone really. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.